is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's episode, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Alan Christensen, founder of Integrative Health and AdrenalQuiz.com. Dr. Christensen is the New York Times bestselling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease, Healing Hashimoto's, and The Adrenal Reset Diet. He's frequently featured as a guest expert on television shows such as The Doctors, The Today Show, and media outlets like the Huffington Post. Dr. Christensen specializes in natural endocrinology and has been at the forefront of helping patients suffering from adrenal and thyroid dysfunction for decades. He's also the founding president of the Endocrine Association of Naturopathic Physicians, and you can learn more about Dr. Christensen at adrenalresetdiet.com or drchristensen.com. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to maximize strength, focus, and mental clarity by optimizing your adrenal and thyroid function. We'll cover a host of topics, including the key differences between thyroid disease, adrenal dysfunction, and how to symptomatically tell the differences between the two, the secret to hitting the reset button on your adrenals, why no carb is a no-no, especially for those engaging in glycolytically demanding workouts, the truth about caffeine, how it affects different types of people, and why you may or may not need to say goodbye to your morning cup of coffee, his favorite meditation app, what he eats for breakfast, a home test, to distinguish and determine if you may have adrenal issues, the best lab tests, and much, much more. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Alan Christensen. Hey, everyone. I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks, and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. I'm here with Dr. Alan Christensen, New York Times bestselling author of The Adrenal Reset Diet, functional medicine practitioner out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Dr. Christensen, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. Jazz to be here with you. Can you tell us the story about how, um, how you got into functional medicine and more specifically the, your specialization with uh, adrenal function? You know, for sure. And funny thing is that all predates the, the modern functional medicine movement. <laughs> date myself a bit. I was an epileptic kid. I had cerebral palsy. A lot of health complications from that. And odd thing is that I was a smart enough kid. I could read at an early age. And I was so nerdy and so into space science. And I was pretty happy with that. I had this, this little world carved out. It was me and my books. And it was fine. Somewhere around adolescence, the whole idea about socialization, how it was viewed by others, all those things became much more real. And there was like a very memorable moment in gym class in which I thought that my shape was a better kept secret than it was. <laughs> I learned in that moment that it was not as good of a secret as I thought. <laughs> um, I was about, what, probably 5'1 at the time and 190 pounds. And, you know, little boys aren't quite shaped right at that weight. It was pretty crushing. You know, I really realized just how much you could be judged for things like that and how it could shape how you were viewed and how much that could shape your life and how those people would perceive you. I shifted my focus just out of desperation and I got deep into health books. Uh, there was many fewer back then. Uh, Del Davis was one of the authors I read quite a bit of, but I made myself a bit of a plan and I 
you know, stuck with it through fits and starts. And the first plan was pretty simple. I thought, hey, I'll sign up for football and I'll just get fit from playing football, right? So no sports experience. So I'm signing for football. They give me all this stuff. I don't quite know how the pads work and how it all goes together, but do my best. And I say, okay, we're going to go out on the far side of the field and come meet us out for practice. We're going to all run out here and start practice. Okay, first day of practice, no problem. On the way to practice, I blacked out. <laughs> so I hadn't even gotten there yet. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I got to refigure this. And so lots of fits and starts, but short version wise, I was able to lose weight, become a real good athlete. And it left me with this just calling. I'm like, shoot, if a, if a kid can grab books and find things that change his health in ways that doctors didn't deliver, there's got to be a big gap between what's known to help and what can help. So it's been just a calling to close that gap ever since. Uh, that's a great story. <laughs> Before you sat down to write The Adrenal Reset Diet, what gap did you see that needed to be closed? Yeah, so that one... The prior works, the prior books had been general books about integrated medicine, a couple of specific books on thyroid disease and Hashimoto's. And what I was seeing was that, you know, my personal struggle was obesity. And I've been seeing that how this is playing out on a global scale. And the rates, the, the rates and the projections are staggering. And the message in the public health is that people need to eat less and not be lazy. And the problem is that just does not explain the data. You know, there's there's now over 20,000 species of animals that are documented to be getting obese at the exact same rate that humans are. Um, wild animals, domesticated animals, and also animals in laboratory controlled settings. So it's not about behavior. And I saw that for many people, it really was about their thyroid function. And I could help unlock that portion, they would do better. But that wasn't all of it. And so I was going deep into sorting that out. Like what was the hidden trick? What was all the factors that was driving obesity for humans and non-humans to understand what's the real key to get us out of that. So that, that's what led to the adrenal reset diet. You mentioned the thyroid, and, and it seems like with many clients, at least from my experience, the ones that are dealing with diet-resistant, hard-to-lose weight, there's a thyroid connection, there is an adrenal connection, there's a gut connection, and there may even be detoxification issues and, and toxic overload. Where do you start you know, great point, and and as as you've probably seen as well, those things also can overlap in many ways. Um, so I think about it in the sense that things can go wrong for different reasons. So there's disease and there's dysfunction. So thyroid disease is disease, and adrenal dysfunction is actually not disease. So it's more of an artifact of, of situations, to whereas thyroid disease has its own momentum. So personally, I treat everything, but I understand that the disease acids may take the most long-term treatment, and also they may be the most intractable, meaning that if they are not addressed, you've got a parking brake on, the car ain't going to go very fast. So that may be one of the higher priorities, but, but they're all, they all need to be addressed. I, I was speaking with Dr. Tom O'Brien a couple uh -huh. days ago, and um, he had mentioned that what he's found is a lot of times, if he's able to fix the gut microbiome, the thyroid has a tendency to take care of itself. Has that been reflected in your experiences, or do you find that by addressing the thyroid, you're able to get your client's weight back to a manageable level, and, and, and that's usually what they're looking for first and foremost, is help me get the weight off, and then let's fix everything. For sure. You know, people have such different different levels of experience in terms of thyroid dysfunction. There's such a, such a big spectrum. So 
the nature of my practice is such to where most that would seek someone like myself out, they've been struggling with thyroid disease for a decade or so. It's, they know they have it. They've gone through many numbers of physicians. So the short version is they're pretty deep in the whole process. And in those cases, they've they've done they've done everything they can with their gut. You know, they've done good diet therapy. They've done change in the flora. They they've been off gluten for for for, 50, for five years or so. So people are at very different levels. And there's many out there to where those steps can certainly help a bunch. And there's many to where they still need those steps, but they also do require some medical management, some actual thyroid replacement. So yeah, there, there's a full spectrum out there. What dietary changes do you start with? You mentioned gluten. I, I, in your book, you talk about dairy casein, a lot of those. So the grains and dairy being two big ones. Mm-hmm. What else do you see uh, that, that's related to a lot of these energy and adrenal issues people are experiencing? Well, the adrenal reset diet, my, my thought was, I mentioned before about this whole obesity crisis. Uh, the data is saying that in the next, about the next decade and a half, we're expected to have more, more costs and more casualties, more costs by a factor of six and more casualties by a factor of two than we've had from all human wars since the year 1800 related to obesity and all the problems from it. So helping with it, what I wanted to figure out was, since we can't change everything that throws off our adrenals, what's an easy leveraging point that can move them back into good balance? And that also does help the body's thyroid hormone uptake. When the adrenals are off, the thyroid hormones are not well absorbed into the cell's mitochondria. So my thought was, for sure, let's do the stuff that many may already be doing. Let's cut out the processed food, cut out the gluten, the sugar, the, I call them the binding proteins, you know, the, the casein, the albumin, the gluten, the proteins that are not broken down that trigger inflammation. Let's take those steps. But I wanted to see some way to rebuild the body's daily rhythms. And I thought hard about adrenal hormones, about cortisol. They're also gluconeogenic. They, they regulate blood sugar. And there's quite a bit of data about our, our macronutrients, our proteins, our fats, and our carbs having distinct effects upon the cortisol cycle. So I did a clinical trial and I showed that by, by not, not avoiding all carbohydrate, being strategic, doing small amounts, but by timing the amounts that you have, you can actually help to reset and repair that cortisol rhythm. And for many people, that was the trick that allowed them to have better thyroid function and to get past the resistant weight loss. And, and part of that is starting out with a high-protein, low-carbohydrate shake in the morning, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah. good amounts of protein, lots of fiber, some healthy good fats with that, but very minimal carb. And you can do it with foods, but, but shakes are so much easier to hit those macronutrient targets. <laughs> right. Do you have a fiber target that you recommend for your clients on a daily basis? You know, I, I went pretty deep in the concept of resistant fiber or resistant starch. I've seen it by both names. So yeah, so fiber, there's so many subtypes. And we think about like soluble and soluble, but there's at least about like 10 or more distinct subtypes of each. So total grams of fiber, you hear about 40 being a minimal target, and that's a good thing. I got really enamored with resistant starch because it actually stabilizes cortisol and blood sugar for seven to nine hours. So if someone can get higher amounts of that particular subtype of fiber, they're gonna burn belly fat faster because their body is not needing to make insulin to process it because it's absorbed so much more slowly than any other food. And good sources of resistant starch, uh, potato flour, green bananas, what, what else? What are your go-tos for clients that are like just starting out? 
<laughs> Those are great ones. Yeah, white beans are all dense in that. You mentioned uh, the potato and the, the bananas. So banana peels are actually very, very dense in that. They're completely edible, believe it or not. A uh, couple tricks about them. You No question you want organic. So okay. non-negotiable because that's like outside of the fruit. <laughs> I, was, I was just imagining all of the chemicals on conventional bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> So yeah, you want organic, non-negotiable. You can do them in two ways. You can cook them like a vegetable, in which case you want the ones that are more green. Or you can just chop off the stem and the tip, and you can put them in a powerful blender and add them to your smoothie. And in that case, you want ones that are more ripe. But they're also a very dense source of that stuff. Really? What does what is, what is your breakfast look like? Uh, that's an ingredient I'll often use, you know, not to plug a product. There's a thing called high amylopectin pea starch, or RS2. And a lot of research has shown that if you exceed about 15,000 milligrams of that stuff, we see crazy big benefits. There's a genetic disease called glycogen storage defect, and that's probably the worst, the worst situation for blood sugar regulation. That's to where if you're not eating in two hours, you can go into a coma and die. And they've shown that this RS2 high amylopectin pea starch can give people like that seven to nine hours of steady blood sugar. And without that, they could not sleep at night, and the kids couldn't sleep at night. You know, no one could without eating every couple of hours. So I used the research from that, and also did clinical trials using 24-hour glucometers that check blood sugar every minute of the day continuously. And I used that compound to make my, my shake. Um, there's really not a lot of food sources that can get you to that high of that, that many milligrams of resistant starch otherwise. So that, that's actually my breakfast, the Adrenal Reset Shake. <laughs> Okay, so you, 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 you use this, this RS2, Yeah. you use uh, greens, what type of green? What, what did you have for breakfast today, exactly, today, like if someone wanted to replicate actually, I just had a shake, in many days, yeah. it's been a video day all day, I've been doing some videos, having fun with that, and so it was really just, just a shake, you know, grab and go, cold water, do that together. Other days, I'll do, you know, food mixtures as well. One of my favorites would be to add in some um, uh, actually chilled, uh, boiled, refrigerated, potatoes, especially the purple flesh potatoes. So those, uh, a can of sardines, a couple globs of some kimchi or something, some steamed greens with that. that that's my, my favorite food breakfast. It's this, pretty weird, but... <laughs> okay, that's not going in the Vitamix. <laughs> That'd be dedication. <laughs> what do you recommend to someone who... We'll, we'll, let's start with someone that does not have the, the budget for laboratory testing. Um, but they suspect they may be dealing with adrenal issues. Mm -hmm. What are some good at-home tests uh, that are economical that you would recommend? You know, easiest thing by far, there's a free, pretty accurate quiz called adrenalquiz.com. And I, I put together data from 24-hour um, urine cortisol tests, um, salivary cortisol tests, blood cortisol tests. So there's also hair cortisol tests. Many haven't heard of those, but cortisol is made outside the adrenal glands. And by putting all that data together, you can gauge not just the adrenal output, but the whole body output. And I took thousands of data points from all these tests with questionnaires to map out what symptoms show up when you're at various levels of adrenal dysfunction. And part of it is knowing whether or not it's off, but the other part is knowing how is it off, because you can make too much cortisol, too little, or you can make it backwards. And the strategies to help those are all different from one to the next. So with the quiz, you can know whether or not it's a factor, but also which pattern you fall within and how, how to go about addressing that. So that's the simplest way to find out. 
And what about someone who wants to, to go with laboratory testing? Which labs do you usually start with? For more routine purposes, I'll do a combination of blood plus saliva. So there's adrenal disease and adrenal dysregulation. So the disease, the, the most common one is Addison's. That's not very common. Next most common is Cushing's and then pheochromocytoma. Blood tests are great for picking up adrenal disease. Now, adrenal dysregulation, which is much more common, that's not, a, that's not an all or nothing with cortisol. It's a problem with cortisol timing. And the perk about the salivary test is that you can be in a natural environment that's not stressful or weird, like a blood draw station is, and you can check that at several times across the course of a typical day. So the pitfall is that um, most of the bigger labs are good nowadays. That's, that's not as big of a problem. Some people will get goofy high or goofy low levels for reasons like microscopic blood in their saliva or other differences between how much free versus total cortisol. So I love to look at someone's blood and salivary levels for the same day at the same time. So if we overlap the blood test with the salivary panel, we can get a corroboration on how they, how they look and just have some, some cross-reference on the, meaningness, the meaningfulness of their salivary scores. So that's my favorite workout. And the blood testing still has relevance in cases of dysregulation? Um, yes, by, by corroborating the saliva and also by ruling out the disease. And the blood test can also show if there's any autoimmunity against the adrenals or if there's any disconnect between the pituitary function and the adrenal output. Okay. So if someone is, is working with their functional medicine practitioner, what specific tests would you tell them to ask their practitioner to order in, in terms of blood and, and saliva? Yeah. So blood panel, you want AM cortisol. You want adrenal antibody panel, um, HCTH, DHEA, pregnenolone. And then also electrolyte panels, including magnesium. So this is pretty targeted for just gauging adrenal function by itself. The celebrate panels, the better ones give you four collection times. And you want to overlap one of those with the blood test. Now, to be precise, before your blood test. Not like right after because just getting poked can skew your cortisol. So you do one before your blood test. Your next one's typically noon and then about like five in the evening and then like about midnight. But they give times and guidelines for that. What, what role does caffeine play in adrenal dysfunction? And when you have people that are incredibly busy, they don't have time to sleep as much as <laughs> may be suggested when they're recovering. Yeah. Um, is caffeine something that holds them back? It's a funny thing. You know, I'm, I'm always tempted to make simple, simple answers, but caffeine could have no effect whatsoever or it could completely wreck someone. <laughs> there's, there's so many genetic differences in how we clear caffeine from one person to the next. And many have an average response, in which case small amounts are probably negligible when they're taken earlier in the day. Um, caffeine doesn't raise cortisol for the average person, but it does delay the cortisol drop-off. So if someone can't get their cortisol down throughout the day, that can be a culprit. And there are some who are more genetically susceptible to it than others. Uh, many take more than a day to process caffeine. And in that case, a dose every day, it's never actually leaving your body. It's just building up from one day to the next. So I always tell someone, if you're ever questioning about how that might be affecting your adrenal function, your insomnia, your sleep, your anxiety, your blood pressure, you know, go off for three weeks. And if you're better, awesome. If you've had no change whatsoever, go back to it. But it's worth testing. Yeah. That, so you're referring to fast metabolizers versus slow metabolizers of caffeine? 
There's about seven different gene variations. That that's one of the factors. But yeah, the rate of clearance is, is big from person to person. Also, the rate how caffeine affects brain chemicals, the way by which caffeine affects cardiac output is also different. And they've even shown studies that you hear some saying that you know caffeine cuts the stroke risk. Well, the more some more detailed studies have actually partitioned people per their clearance, and those who are slow metabolizers, it actually raises their stroke risk. So <laughs> the responses are very different. It, it makes it very difficult to accurately assess any of these scientific studies because you, if, if someone is coffee good for us or bad for us, such yeah. a such a general statement. But it's, that's the first question people ask. Well, right. And so, so a study you've got two thousand people, and let's say that of those two thousand people, you see thirty less strokes than you would otherwise. Well, the conclusion is it was better. But the drawback is for some people they might not have had those strokes had they not been drinking it. So even though the group did better. Yeah, that's always the caveat, right? The individual results might vary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a big advocate of relaxation techniques as, as part of optimizing adrenal function and energy. What do you do on a weekly basis to stay relaxed, manage your stress? What are, your, what are some of your go-to practices? You know, for me, um, I've got a very deep connection with nature. Um, before I came on here, we've got a I'm in my office. We've got a large, I don't know how many, 10, 12 feet. We've got a big LCD screen out front, and the staff puts different images up on that. And there was this image of Yosemite Valley with this perfect rainbow over it. And I saw that, and I just blissed out. I, I get to Yosemite like as often as I can. But So that's that's a powerful thing for me, is just connection to nature. I live in the Sonoran Desert, and within about 30 steps from my home, I can be in a wash in, like this, in this desert environment and just explore that and really disconnect from the thoughts and the, the stressors of modern life. So that's powerful for me. Um, meditation is a big thing in my life. That's been the case since I was probably about 16 or 17. Um, and, yeah, just can't speak enough about how positive that is. But it's, I, think, I think the core the core thing I would drill down is the idea of having some rituals, of having some ways you bookend your days. And they can be certainly different from person to person, but... You know, journaling or meditation or movement or connection with someone else or meditation or, or exercise can take a lot of that as well. But some ways you book in each of your days that you know you're going to have even like five minutes for self-care. So I think it's just so critical. What does the first 60 to 90 minutes of your day look like? Well, I pretty routine. I, I script out pretty well. I roll out of bed. Um, you know, try to keep my bowels regular because I want to be TMI, but <laughs> use, use the restroom. And I've got things set up to where my wife is still asleep at that point in time. So actually in that same little spot, I've, I've got my journal. And then right outside of that, I've got my, my headphones. And I've got some, right now I'm doing some, some, guided, some guided imagery techniques. I'll do various different types of meditation about a month at a time, but they, and I'll, I'll mix them up. So I'll go sit down and you know, plug in and, and do do my session. Uh, when that finishes, I'll jump on the scale, you know, log the weight, log some measurements for the day, um, go outside. The most common workout I do is actually with rocks. So I go out and walk in the desert. Um, I'm a climber, so I like to keep my grip strong. And using rocks, I can do huge amounts of body weight with rock-assisted exercises or just with the rocks themselves. And I'll go out and rearrange rocks in the desert for about half an hour. <laughs> Just picking them up and moving them around. What do you what, yep. walk, what is what does a rock workout look like? <laughs> well, so the this fun, sounds pretty actually, badass. 
You gotta look underneath them first. Yeah. <laughs> I've had surprises. <laughs> I've brought home some rattlesnakes before. So the first things I do, I'll use lighter ones and I'll warm myself up. So as I'm heading out to where my, my pile is, I'll get some that I'll hold overhead and I'll you know grip those and I'll balance. And I'm walking on uneven terrain. So I'm intentionally going a little bit off kilter, you know, and keeping this thing upright as I'm walking up uphill and over uneven surfaces. And I'll switch hands and but some basically some easier things with lighter rocks. I'll do some chest passes, I'll hold some just just upwards with strengthening my grip, and I'll work up to to carrying the pinnacle when I'm really warmed up. There's some rocks that when I'm when I'm on point and warmed up and feeling strong, I can barely roll. Like you see guys doing tire flips. So yeah, there's some I can just barely flip like that. And I might take them 30 feet or so. And that kicks my butt. Like all I can do to move them. And I'm and this is like sand and rocks and like loose terrain and stuff. So it's like it's it's pretty messy stuff. I'm into it. I'm I, I choose which clothes I wear because they're yeah, they're they're getting messed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's super cool. I love it. Have, um have you are you familiar with like the move nat? Any any of those like yeah, so uh, I've not done those. I've seen those. I love all that. I me do too. Love those things in, in different ways. I'm going to love that idea. Me too. I saw um, I, I saw some pretty cool videos. They've been working with a number of the the mixed martial arts fighters, and um, they've got them. They've got these guys walking on logs and and like <laughs> bow hunting and like in these in these different precarious positions that uh, engage those stabilizer muscles and, and some of the things that you're doing. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, the other one is mountain. The other one's mountain unicycling. I got to throw that out there. What is, what's that? Mountain unicycling is the other big sport. Come on. <laughs> so wherever you, see, wherever you see guys doing crazy stuff on mountain bikes, I'll be there on one wheel. Are you serious <laughs> or you're messing around right now? I'm dead serious. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that, like core stabilization, that's like, that's like the king of it. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a blast. When did, you, when did you unicycle for the first time? Not that long ago, probably about like four or five years. Um, I was a competitive cyclist, and I saw these guys just – as a side part of one of the large road bike races, they were on these giant 36-inch unicycles. And they had, like, aero bars, and they were cruising at, like, 15 miles an hour. And it blew me away. So I started looking at videos, and I saw people riding really hard off-road train on specially made unicycles. And I'm like, wow. I, I've ridden mountain bike forever. I'm like, wow, if I could have a brand-new experience with my favorite trails, how cool would that be? So, yeah, it took a long time to be able to do any of it. But it's a blast. <laughs> It, it has to be. So I was I was exposed to a study about juggling and how um, the natural process of learning to juggle regrows gray matter in the brain. Yep. I have to imagine there's a good amount of that going on with the way that you train. It's unicycling is so weird because you're spending like a month or so before anything happens, and it feels like there's there's no tangible sign of progress whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, yeah, your brain changes, but it's been working all along, but you don't see any signs of it. So yeah, I'm sure it does. You mentioned a uh, a guided imagery that uh, audio that you're listening to right now. What is that? And uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing, no, no, it's Headspace. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've done many forms of meditation. Uh, you know, vipassana or mantra based meditation. I had a wonderful time in my life where I worked under a Shingon Buddhist monk for about three years, and. Uh, very, very detailed visualization, work with mudra, work with incense. So I've done many forms of it, but I'm having a blast right now with some of the hacks they've got within Headspace. So it's a great, great program. Really yeah. great stuff. I, I love Headspace as well. And it's a great place for people to start that have 
that are unfamiliar with meditation. So mm-hmm. put in headphones and just kind of do what they tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my friends was telling me he was out in California and the um, – the narrator and the creator of Headspace. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was he. They were on the street and he heard Andy, Andy <laughs> Andy's voice. And he turns, and he looks, and he's right there. And he was like, "It was a trip. I've, I've only heard him on Headspace." And I turn and look, and he's he's right there next to me. Just and he's like, it's ex- he talks the exact same way." <laughs> that would be pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nuts. What do you see holding a lot of people back that they think is healthy? What are people doing that they think is good for them that is uh, actually draining their energy and making them less healthy? They think it's good for them. Well, probably one of the biggest examples that may not affect everyone, but it's just, you know, iodine, just getting too much iodine as far as triggering thyroid disease. That's that's pretty wild and it's pretty tragic. Um, the thyroid gland, it, it needs iodine, but it needs just a scant amount, like about one to 300 micrograms. And it seems so intuitive because people know that the gland needs it, that more must be better. But there's no more surefire way to shut down your thyroid than to overdose with iodine. And I see many that they, they'll, they'll do a quiz, they'll see symptoms, and they've got a strong suspicion of having thyroid disease, and they may well be right. Some, they find some well-meaning content or some well-meaning health food store clerk that guides them towards iodine supplements. And now they're in a deep. Now they've got more unusual, intractable versions of thyroid disease. So that's, that's one big pitfall that's out there. Do you use... Do you use organic sea iodine? I'm, I'm very familiar with, with iodine in all forms and all types. Yeah, and but you use it in very small amounts? or? Well, so my patients, they get primarily a thyroid disease, and those with it, the range by which we see the least complications is 1 to 300 micrograms. I also manage hyperthyroidism, and I do thyroid imaging tests. There are times where we need someone to be on a low iodine diet for, for before certain exams, and that's actually hard. You've actually really got to work your butt off to get below 100 micrograms per day in your diet. It doesn't come easily. So we always get at least about 150 in our diet. So most are pretty good with that. The other thought is that those who are on thyroid medications, those medications have a lot of iodine in them. So the average person is getting an extra 1 to 200 micrograms in their thyroid tablets. So most people that I'm managing and working with, the whole goal is like not getting any more iodine anywhere like avoiding the multivitamins that have it, avoiding the iodized salt. It's like minimizing all the extra amounts that are unnecessary. Those that don't have thyroid disease or are on no thyroid medications, um, iodized salt is harmless. Maybe 50 micrograms in a multi is harmless. Dietary amounts are good. So, yeah. So when you have clients come to you with thyroid issues and they're taking Lugol's or uh, Iosol and, and some of these popular, yep. you typically get them off of yep. those things. And then take other steps. Okay. What are your thoughts on Synthroid? So thyroid medications, there's there's synthetic, there's natural, there's T4, T3, there's also T2. Synthroid's the most widely prescribed medication just about globally. So it's hugely, hugely used and more so in its generic forms than the branding forms. You know, it's not, it's called synthetic and it's thought of as synthetic. That's a little bit misleading. When we talk about testosterone or estrogen, we call it hormone natural when it's in the same chemical state that it's found in within the body. Well, guess what? Synthroid's actually natural by that definition. <laughs> it's the same chemical state. I don't prescribe it much. It's not my go-to medication, but it's also not a, not a demon. Um, it's one hormone. We need three. My favorite is really natural desiccated thyroid. The drawback about it, however, is that it's night and day different from one brand to the next. 
You know, some brands have so many binders or fillers. Some are very poorly standardized. So being able to be brand selective, it's a nice option. Desiccated thyroid has T4, T3, but also T2, which is very important. And then the proteins within it can help lower the autoimmune response and actually improve the immune portion of, thyroid, of um, Hashimoto's. So that's the one I use the most, but there are cases to where T4-only medications can be a better fit. There's a newer one called Tyrosint, which is basically a clean synthroid. It doesn't have gluten or lactose or binders or fillers. So yeah, there's many products in the market. Do you, do you find yourself uh, going with an armor or a nature throid more frequently one than the other? Well, to go into brands, uh, and to give disclosure, there's a company called RLC Labs, which I have done consulting for in the past, and they manufacture three products, uh, West Thyroid, uh, WP Thyroid, and Nature Thyroid. Armor is made by Forest Labs. We also have A-Cella Thyroid, and then one called NP Thyroid. So those are the current desiccated products in the market, and there's generics as well. The standardization is done by federal mandate and then also by elective company policy. There's two tiers to that. The federal mandate takes desiccated thyroid powder and mandates that it's less than 20% variable from batch to batch in terms of potency. You know, one last thing to make this complete, there is also compounded desiccated thyroid, which is non-branded. So compounded desiccated thyroid, not a fan because the first standardization step that happens before the manufacturers get it, that part is not occurring either. So it's really not regulated for hormone content. And these hormones are micrograms. You, know, you put them by themselves in your hand and you couldn't even see them. So I like RLC products because they voluntarily exceed the federal guidelines and keep their products with 2% variation. Now, of their three products, I'm the biggest fan by far of WP Thyroid. That's my go-to medicine because it's got the standardization, but also the inactive ingredients, um, it's a list of two, and that's coconut and artichoke. So that's what the whole tablet's made out of. It's clean, it's well-absorbed, it's gluten-free, it's got none of the random binders or fillers. So that's the medicine I use by default. Very cool. What nutrients, supplements, nutraceuticals, do you see people with adrenal issues responding most powerfully to? Yeah, so there's general things that anyone can do well with, and there's also more specific things per whether they're, I call that stressed or crashed or wired and tired. Some great general things, vitamin C is something that we tend to really lack. The adrenals benefit with that. Even 500 or 1,500 milligrams per day is useful. That's not relative to time of day. So any time of day is useful for it there. Uh, similar things for magnesium and also pantothenic acid, you know, good general nourishment for the adrenal glands. And then vitamin D, and vitamin D is one to where it's really about your needs. Um, we think 40 to 80 nanograms per mil is a sweet spot. Uh, I live in the Sonoran Desert, like I mentioned, and almost everyone I test is low in vitamin D. You know, the whole sun thing, if you're bathing like we normally do in the modern world, you're washing off the oils your skin needs to assimilate vitamin D. So it doesn't matter how much you're outside, if you even are, you're going to be low in almost all cases. And most need like five to 10,000 units to get to the target. But people can be different. There are some that need less and some that need more. So that one really is testing and, and monitoring. The other big category of adrenal boosters are all the herbal adaptogens. And there's a lot of wonderful things out there, but their effects are very specific. Some will help delay cortisol excretion and therefore raise cortisol. Others can speed cortisol excretion and lower it. Others can sensitize the pituitary adrenal axis and therefore change the cortisol rhythm. And which one someone would need really depends upon where they're starting. 
If they're already at too low cortisol, they don't need cortisol-lowering herbs. <laughs> if they're at too high, they don't need cortisol boosters. And most of the combo products I'm not a big fan of because they're half boosters and half lowers, and you don't need the brakes and the gas at the same time. Right. <laughs> what um, what one product, if, if, if there is a combo product, or even if it's just a, an isolated nutrient, uh, do you use most frequently with clients? You know, the, the general ones I mentioned were fine, but as far as the adaptogens, really that's going to be per the level, even in the isolated ones. Um, the, my, my Adrenal Reset Diet book talked about that, but really the um, adrenalquiz.com gives that for free too. You can okay. take the quiz, you'll get feedback on where, which level you are in and which isolated thing can be a good fit. All right. Um, all great stuff. Last question, and then we'll, we'll wrap everything up. I, I want to be respectful of your time. You mentioned the way that everyone bathes today. <laughs> How do you bathe? How do you do um, it differently? I'm a fan of bathing. I don't, <laughs> I don't do anything differently in that regard. Well, one thing, and again, I don't want to be too TMI, but you really wouldn't want to use harsh soaps on all your body all the time. So we've got like the high priorities to wash. You know, you can determine what those are for yourself. But as far as like arms, legs, trunk, extremities, as much as you can, letting your skin's own oils be there. You know, that's probably a good thing for many reasons. <laughs> and, and what type of soap do you use? Personally, I use Castile soaps. Um, I love just avoiding random chemicals whenever possible. There's so many things that are not regulated in the cosmetic industry and so many ways by which your skin is very active for absorbing things chemically. So what you put on your body is not that different than eating it. I also love um, Anne-Marie Organics skincare. They're, they're friends of mine. And the cool thing is their stuff is actually edible. <laughs> I've, I've done videos before like eating their products. They're tasty and they're all food-based. So there are some, are some nice things I got in the market nowadays that are just completely food-based and would be safe to eat. Because what you're putting on your skin, you, you are eating. <laughs> what was the name of that? Uh, Anne Marie Organics, Anne Marie Gianni Organic Skincare. Yeah, you can eat them. <laughs> and some actually taste good. <laughs> wow. All right, that's great. Dr. Christensen, you've been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. I've had a lot of fun. Where can people go to find out more about you? Um, you have the, the best selling book, The Adrenal Reset Diet. Is that the best place for people to start? Where, where should people go that want to st stay up with you? You know, easiest hub is Dr. Christensen, C H R I S T I A N S O N, drchristensen.com. All things are updated and kept from that. Fantastic! Thank you very much for your time. Enjoy your uh, your trip to the Grand Canyon next week. Yeah, we'll do. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Thank you. Take care. This episode is brought to you by AdrenalQuiz.com. If you're concerned about your stress levels and how they might be affecting your health, I highly suggest you head over to AdrenalQuiz.com. AdrenalQuiz.com is an easy-to-use tool for calculating and evaluating different stress-related systems and the effect they have on your body. It's also the first step in understanding how to reset your adrenals to lose weight, maximize your performance, and increase energy. I was absolutely floored when I took the quiz and realized how stressed my body actually was. And since following the program, I've noticed great improvements in my energy, my focus, and just feel like I've experienced an overall physical and psychological reset. So if you're ready to let go of stress and reset your body, I encourage you to check out adrenalquiz.com. That's A-D-R-E-N-A-L 
quiz.com. This episode is brought to you by the Earth Pulse PEMF Sleep on Command device. If you're looking for better sleep, enhanced mitochondrial function, improved performance, and accelerated recovery, I highly recommend you check out the Earth Pulse. Within the first week of sleeping on my Earth Pulse, I was seeing improved exercise performance, delayed onset of fatigue, I noticed more energy during my workouts, and I was able to break the three-minute mark on a static breath hold. I now sleep on my Earth Pulse PEMF, which stands for Pulsed Electromagnetic Field device, every single night. I have the one that has two coils. One goes under your pillow, one goes under your mattress, and I take it with me when I travel. I don't leave home without it. Every time I use my Earth Pulse, I wake up feeling clearer, calmer, and more energized. And I can tell the difference if I skip using it for a few nights. What's even cooler is it's incredibly easy to use. I just put it in manual mode, set it to 9.6 hertz, and about 15 minutes before my alarm is going to go off. And that's it. It's very easy, just a couple buttons, and the performance-enhancing benefits are profound. To learn more about the Earth Pulse and check out some of the scientific literature, you can go to biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Earth Pulse. That's biohackingsecrets.com forward slash E-A-R-T-H-P-U-L-S-E.